0: Sometimes things happen in our kids' lives that kind of take us by surprise. Lori and I were watching television Tuesday night, and I was working on getting papers together for tax purposes. And I don't know what she was working on on her laptop, but the television was kind of going in the background. A bank of commercials come on, and they're going. And out of the blue, she says, "That's Mike. Go ahead, Jeff." I look up. This is what's on, all right? You see these two little kids, they are just getting done uh, or heading out, I'm not even sure which, the Make-A-Wish Foundation, donate your air miles, February 28th, and that's what they're promoting for Make-A-Wish. And in the background, (laughs) that's Mike, for those of you who don't know, that's our son. Out of the blue, your son shows up on the television, right? It's like, whoa, okay, so what do we do? We, of course, back it up, take a picture, so we can say that really is him, right? Call him and say, what's going on? <laughs> Do you know you're part of a commercial? He's like, no, I have no clue. And so then we sent him the picture. He looked at it, and he goes, oh, Mom and Dad, remember about a couple of years back, the, my first flight into Fargo, you came and watched me land the plane? He said, that was the flight when these kids were on. And he described the working relationship between Allegiant and Make-A-Wish. And uh, that's when the picture was taken. And now these few years later, they're using it in this kind of a commercial. So my point is, something happened to our son. We were clueless what had happened, and even he was taken by surprise by it. That's my point. And sometimes this is how life happens. In fact, it happened that way. Thank you, Jeff. It happened that way. In John chapter 9, John chapter 9, and we're going to eventually look at this entire chapter, so it will take us a little bit of time, but we've got time. John chapter 9, and you'll see parents who are confused by what's happened with their son, and you will even see the son not able to explain everything that takes place. John chapter 9, verse 1, we read this, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now understand, within that culture and, that, and their understanding, that made perfect sense. To try and explain this man's blindness was somewhere along the line, sin was an issue. And God was bringing punitive measures in order to uh, correct someone in this process. They're just wondering, who was it? <laughs> was it him or was it his parents? Explain this to us. I've been listening to an uh, Oxford uh, professor by the name of uh, John Lennox as of late, and there was one place where he was speaking to a group of Harvard medical students, and these medical students had done a survey among people in the Boston area. 22% of the people in the hospitals believed they were there because God was bringing some form of a corrective element to their lives. So we still believe this to this day, that problems that we have at times are reflective of God's disciplinary action in our lives. And so that was, the, that was the basis of their question. Jesus answered, verse 3, something quite to the contrary. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And Jesus goes on to explain that this guy's blindness has an eternal significance. That it is ordained directly by God that something of who God is might be revealed through me at this time. For I am the light of the world. As long as I am here, I am giving light. I am giving revelation to who God is. That's what John made clear in John one eighteen, uh, when he says, "The only begotten of the Father has revealed Him." That Christ has revealed who the Father is, and Jesus is revealing who God is at this moment. And He says, "That's why He, He is here before us in this blind condition." And I've got to do what I need to do while I'm here. I've got to do the works that God's called me to do. And there's going to come a time when I'm not going to be around. And this kind of work is not going to go on like this. But as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. There's an eternal purpose for his blindness. And the story continues. When he had said these things... He spat on the ground, made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus goes through this process, not the same process to use in other people with whom he restored their sight, in this particular case. Creates clay with his saliva, puts it on the man's eyes, tells him to wash it off. And the guy comes back seeing. Immediately, you begin to get a sense as to what he meant when he said, I am the light of the world. He gave light, if you will, in a physical way, into this guy's eyes. So that he now can see something which is. In, you have to undergrasp. He has never, his entire life, had a day of being sighted and being able to be aware of what was around him. Therefore, verse 8 says, the neighbors and those who had previously seen that he was blind said, well, isn't this the guy who sat and begged? Haven't we been passing this guy on the streets? Some said, this is he. Others said, well, he's like him. So there's this controversy that comes up. Is, can this, isn't is this the guy? He looks like that guy we've been passing all these years. Some say, well, yeah, he looks like him, but we know that guy's blind. <laughs> and this guy clearly isn't. So he must just be a, you know his doppelganger. The guy, his double, who looks like him. But that's not really him. Until he says, clearly, I am he. Yeah, I'm the guy. I've been... I've been begging there as long as I can remember, and it is me, and now I am seeing. Therefore, they said to him, and you can imagine, you and I would ask the same question. How were your eyes opened? We've only known you to be blind and begging. He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. And you can understand that. He could have been standing right behind the people who are speaking to him. He wouldn't have known that that was Jesus if Jesus hadn't said anything because he's never seen him. They're asking him to give account of a guy and identify a guy that heretofore he has never seen so he doesn't know where they are. So these people go, We got to do something with this character. Something's going on here. They brought him who formerly was blind. Isn't that a wonderful statement? Who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Gives the exact same account. Nothing changes. There's this guy, here's what he did, here's what I did, now I'm seeing. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Now, understand, in John making that statement, there was a division among them, that is a very real theme running throughout the book of John. And he, in his introduction to the book, he gave us a hint that this was going to be the case, and you see it repeatedly throughout the book, that Christ is here, Christ is present, in all of his magnificence and glory, and he always seemed to create two responses. That's why John said in in the introduction to his book, he said, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Not. But to as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. He had both those receiving and those not receiving who Christ is. And here there's this division. See, this guy doesn't fit another assumption that they had, just like the assumption about, well, the only reason a guy could be blind is somewhere some sin had been in the picture. Well, this other assumption is you cannot do this kind of work because it's the Sabbath And that being on the Sabbath, our rules tell us, oh, no, you can't can't do that. So he must be evil to have broken the Sabbath. He's not from God. But then others are wrestling with this question, um, how can a man who's a sinner, because if he's not from God, he's a sinner, he's opposed to the things of God, how can he do such signs? So there's your division. So they asked the guy again, after they've discussed it among themselves, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? What's your take on whoever this guy was that opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents to him who had received his sight. They asked them, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see now? So they ask this guy to give, give statements. Well, this guy who did this to you, what's your take on him? Well, I guess he must be a prophet because here I am. Well, they're not satisfied by everything that's going on yet, so they're going to continue their inquiry. And they didn't believe that Jesus indeed was the prophet, and they didn't believe... That maybe this guy had truly experienced what he's claiming he experienced. So in order to get some more witnesses, what do they do? They bring the guy's parents in. Is this your son who was born blind? How then does he see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son. We will identify him as such. We will also agree that he was born blind, verse 20. Verse 21, but by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Yep, our son. Yep, born blind. Don't know how he got his sight back. And whoever did it, no clue. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed any, and had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, that meaning Jesus was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. They're like, oh no, you're not going to trap us on this one. You're not getting us to try and talk about something that we don't understand and we don't know what's happened with our son. So he's old enough, ask him. Because they knew if they were to try and make this claim, the decision's already been made by many of them about who Christ is. So he's of age, he's able to be a legal witness, go ahead and ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. Okay, now it's it's kind of like swearing on a Bible, right? We know that this man is a sinner. We already have made up our mind about who he is. He broke the Sabbath. He doesn't follow the laws of Moses clearly. So tell us the truth about him. Verse 25, he answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. Again, what magnificent way this story is unfolding and what you see happening here. I'm not about to try and judge this guy. I don't know those kinds of things. That's your Pharisees department. But let me tell you what I do know. Let me tell you this one reality about this guy that you're so upset with. I was once blind. And now I can see. He did that. That's what I know through my own experience. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? So they're pressing him. On this question, he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I just think it's fascinating, this little element here, as this guy begins to poke and to prod at these Pharisees who were considered to be the all knowing. They're the ones who studied the scriptures. They're the ones who would tell others how they needed to live. And they followed all the rules and regulations. And, and he's like, well, now, now why do you want me to say it again? Do you want absolutely clear information so that you can become his disciple? Is that it? You're, you're hoping to f- become a follower of him? And so you want to make sure you got clear information on him? Is that what you're after? Because I don't understand why you're asking me again. Because I've already told you. Verse 28, then they reviled him, and I believe that's critical to help us understand that word reviled in terms of what their attitude is towards this whole thing and towards this, this not only Christ who did this, but this man who now is in front of him. They reviled him and said, you are his disciple, which to this point he is not yet. He just knows there's this guy who helped him see his sight. You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. That's who we follow. We know that God spoke to Moses. We know this. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. We have full credentials on Moses, this one whom we follow. We know exactly his story, his history. We have the scriptures that reveal him to us. And so we follow the rules and regulations that came down through the covenant that God gave. And particularly things about the Sabbath. We know who we are following. And Moses was from God. This guy, we have no clue. We're trying to figure this thing out The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God... He could do nothing. Can you just just see the... I just picture this, this, this glint in his eye, if you will, as he says this. It's like, well, as he's looking at these guys now, who he's heard all his life, Hasn't seen him before because he's seeing for the first time. But he's heard all his life that they're the ones who know. They're the ones with understanding. They're the ones who will clarify for everyone truth about who God is. And they follow Moses. He says, this is a weird thing. Because he gives them this little logical progression. Well, if we know that God doesn't hear sinners... And yet he did this because here's the evidence that he did something. We've already clarified. I am the guy who begged. And if God doesn't hear sinners, then how could he possibly have done this? If he weren't from God, he could do nothing. He could not have done this if he wasn't from God. So now he's making a clear assertion beyond what they were able to yet project. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Think about that. That whole question of this man being born in sins, that was what started the whole thing, remember? When the disciples of Jesus said, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's in this condition? And they're like, you are not in a place to teach us. You clearly had the problem to begin with because there was sin involved somewhere in your very existence. And we are the ones who've been studying this stuff, walking in this stuff. We are the example of all this stuff, of who God is. And you think you're going to teach us with this little argument about well, if he was a sinner, God wouldn't have heard him, and he couldn't have done this. And they cast him out. Yet you are not welcome here anymore. Now here, that's where you see their, between that and their having reviled him once already, that's where you see their pride at play here, friends. We've gone beyond simply ascertaining truth, and their pride is in play because, hey, we don't need to listen to someone like you. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And again, understand, this guy hasn't seen before. So he doesn't know exactly what's being asked of him. Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Here is where I believe he entered into discipleship. I said earlier, they said you're, the, the Pharisees said, you're, not one, you're one of his disciples, but we follow Moses. And I said, no, I don't think yet, but he does. And he confesses him and he professes him. Now how did he recognize... I'm only guessing he recognized voice to know that this was the same guy that, that, that um, gave sight to his eyes, right? I would imagine somebody who is, has no sight has to pay very careful attention to people's voices in order to recognize one person in a crowd from another. So I'm just assuming that he, he has done that. And now when he has revealed that, hey, this one standing in front of you that you now are seeing for the first time has stood before you before and he put the clay on your eyes, had you washed. It's the very same one. And now he's asking if you recognize who he is and will you believe on him? He says, Absolutely. And then Jesus makes this interesting statement. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Now I understand, Jesus isn't going around and poking people's eyes out. That's not the point. There is a very simple and clear uh, spiritual application to what is happening here. Because remember, Jesus said early on, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And he demonstrated the spiritual aspect of that through the illustration of the physical healing of this blind man. I think it was important that it was this particular blind man because everybody knew him. They'd seen him for years. It wasn't like he brought a guy in from another town and said, hey, we want you to know that this, this guy just received sight. It's like, oh, no. This is the one we've all watched. We have absolute uh, credibility as to this is the guy. And and now Jesus says, I'm here that those who don't see might see, and that those who see may be made blind. Sounds a little bit enigmatic, but it's really not that tricky because we see where the story ends. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Remember, they've declared they've got truth. We're the ones who know. We're the ones with understanding. And I says, Are you saying we're blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore, your sin remains. And this is the nature of what Jesus is saying about the judgment that he's come to bring. If you were blind, If you recognized you had a need, if you knew, like this blind man knew he had a serious need, he can't see. If you knew you have a spiritual need, i.e. you were blind, you would have no sin. I could help you. I could bring healing to you also. We could address that problem in your life. The spiritual problem of sin and you would have none cuz i could i could deal with it but now you say we see therefore your sin remains you see you refuse to accept you hold on in your pride. You hold on to your pharisaical teachings. You hold on to such a limited view of what the Sabbath is all about. You hold on that we're the ones who know and all these sinners out here, there's no way they could understand more than we do because we get it. And Jesus says in that tone and in that attitude and that position of we get it, you are lost because you're remaining in darkness. You're not recognizing The problem that is so immediate and so much a part of who you are. And your sin remains. And I cannot help you because you refuse to see your need. So that just leads us, friends, having walked through that, that leads us to this, if you'd like to fill in your notes, this this point, the pride that blinds us To Christ is the pride that binds us to sin. The pride that blinds us to Christ is the pride that binds us to sin. He concludes, your sin remains. Why? Because in their pride, they refuse to recognize who is standing in front of them, who this one is. It's been demonstrated for them completely by the fact that this one born blind, attested to by everyone, himself, his parents, the crowd around him, the public who knew him, has been given his sight as it was promised Messiah would do. And they say, nope, we aren't buying it. Because, you know, he did this on the Sabbath. Well, that question comes up repeatedly in the ministry of Jesus Christ. But the pride that blinds us to Christ, friends, is the pride that binds us to sin. So, as we wrap this up, I'd like to just look at it this way. As John lays this account out for us, maybe we can think in these terms. Some questions are in play and some questions are not in play as we watch this unfold. Let's deal with the questions that are not in play. These things aren't up for discussion. One, who Christ is. You need to understand in the Gospel of John, John makes it very clear. He he sets forth in his Gospel account, he sets forth eight specific miracles. He refers to them as signs. And he says very clearly in his gospel, he says, I've written you these, I've selected these, because there's way many more that I could have chosen from, but I've selected these to reveal to you that Jesus is the Christ. And in this particular case, you understand He's he's chosen it in the discussion that went with it to make it very clear to us that a man born blind had been given light physically. That is what Christ has come to do. So who Christ is, not up for question. It's not in play. His capacity to heal, it's not in play. By the time we're done looking at this and they've asked all their questions... It's clear. Something happened to this one who was, born, since he, who was born blind. And he's now standing in front of people. And he now can see. That's not the question. Which always amazes me. It always amazes me. And there's another, another account that John will give us in chapter 11. Where Lazarus is raised from death. And they're still questioning who Jesus is. But the fact that Lazarus was raised from death is no longer a question. And you have the same thing here. The fact that this guy has been healed of his blindness is not the question. There's there's no way to to, uh, say, well, no, he's not really healed. (laughs) Yeah? Look at him. He can see. And everybody will attest. He couldn't see since birth. So, Christ's capacity to heal, the question of that not in play. But here's something a little more under the surface, but it's it's the point of all of this and where it finishes. The question that's not in play is our personal need. Because at the end, as he's finishing up and he says, if you were blind, you'd have no sin. But if now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. His point is, if you recognize your need and Pharisees, you have a need. And sinners, you have a need. And man who is born blind from birth, you have a need. And his parents, they have a need. Everyone has a need. It's universal. The need. Scripture says what? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That broad scope touches every single one of us. Our personal need, if we understand this account, is not a question that is in play. It's being declared by the very end of it. And therefore, then, the other thing that's not in play is our personal need for Christ. When he says, if you were blind, you'd have no sin, but now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. I am the only solution, he is saying, to the issue of sin. I am the light that's in the world. I'm it. There is no other solution to the problem of your sin. I am it. And because you do have the problem of sin, you have the need of me. So those questions are not in play. Who Christ is, his capacity to heal, our personal need, our sin problem, and therefore our personal need for Christ. But here are questions which are in play. One, will I acknowledge my need? See, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see. They don't see. They're as blind as everybody else spiritually. They're as dead in the darkness of every, that everybody else is born into this world with. They say, they see, they refuse to acknowledge their need. Because why? Because they're Pharisees. Because we study this stuff. Because we walk in righteousness. Because we follow Moses. Because we adhere to the Sabbath with all these strict rules and regulations. And so we are not the sinners. Like this guy born in sin. And they refuse to acknowledge their need. That's the first question in play. Will I acknowledge my need? And the second question... Then goes right behind it. Will I confess? Will I trust? Will I believe on Jesus Christ to meet my need? Well, like Jesus asked the man now formerly blind, Do you believe in the Son of God? Who is he, Lord, that I may believe on him? You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking to you. Lord, I believe. You see, he has so experienced who Jesus Christ is and now it gets all put together for him that the one who had done the anointing and all of that was now standing in front of him and he's saying, now, I'm the one. He says, yes, I believe. I had a need, you solved it physically. And I have a need spiritually and I need you to solve it. And yes, and he worships him. Will I acknowledge my need? Will I confess trust, believe on Him to meet my need? I don't know if you guys have noticed it, but we've had kind of a winter these last few weeks. We've experienced it in all of its wonder. I've never, there are a lot of firsts that came with this winter. I'll only mention one. I've never seen this church cancel Wednesday night three weeks in a row. Never saw it happen before. The day after the third week that, that it was canceled, it was snowing, it was blowing, school was canceled, but I still felt like I needed to get to my office. So came to my office, it only, I only got stuck twice on my way there, I was pretty good, I only got stuck twice. Pull into the parking lot, come around that way, and I could see, well, there's a little snow over there, over here, well, I'll just stay where it looks like it's going to be kind of open here and so I spend the day in my office and I got in so I should be able to get out right I come out and I could see where the wind had kept this, uh, the, the uh, parking lot blown clear so it's not so bad out here fine and I'm not sure uh, do I go down? I'm go i not sure what the alley is like so I'm going to head out the west side and Patty had been here and so there's some tracks that head out the west side and I was like I'll just follow Patty's tracks I'll be good and I gleefully get in my car, turn it around now, and I start heading out track, those tracks. And doing going just fine, but Patty had come in from the south, and I wanted to go this way. It's like, that ah, no big deal. Okay, I can see where I'm at, and this is easy going. So I just decide to go out to this side. And I could feel that it's a little bit of work for the car, so what do I do? I just give it more gas. Right, Just just plow through this because I'm going to be fine. And I'm just going to plow right through this. And I keep plowing and plowing until pretty soon, as Miles likes to describe it, when your car goes, er, And I'm like, ooh, I think I'm stuck. But hey, I, I'm a man and I can handle these kinds of things now. You know that old commercial about men of a certain age and you see the guy, his, his Camaro's overheating and he just pours water in and then he drinks the rest of the water. It's cool. I'm like that, dude. I'm like that guy. So I come in here, and I get a shovel. Patty was here and doing some cleaning, and uh, she's like, you know, uh, Vernon was just on his tractor over here, and uh, if you need some help, he could help you. No, I got it. I'll just shovel my way out right there, 15 minutes of shoveling, and I'll tell you, I went nowhere. No matter what I shoveled, I got absolutely nowhere. So finally, I had to humble myself in front of Patty and say, Patty, maybe I'm going to need Vernon's help. She'll say, okay, I'll go get him. So she hops in her vehicle, runs over, gets Vernon, who's out clearing, clearing snow. And in a short while, Vernon comes over, and here's what you need to understand. He's on his tractor. It's, an, it's a, got a bucket in the front, and that's how he's moving snow. And because it's an open cockpit, if you will, he's all bundled up. I mean, he is bundled up in this storm, and he's got something across his face and the hat and the gloves. All I can see are his eyes. They were evil. <laughs> mm hmm. Mm hmm. He looks and he sees my predicament and shakes his head and mumbles something about City Boy from Chicago. <laughs> but he knew he had me. And I was just toast without him. So he takes the, the loader in front, and he gets some of the snow moved in front of me, and then Patty had the perfect ch- tow chains. So he tows me out, and I wave and thank him. And then comes this last Wednesday night, first time we're back together in Bible study. And we're just getting reacquainted with one another. And wouldn't you, of course, this, the winter is the discussion, and, and which, you know, Vernon kind of has to kind of bring it around. And and by the way, Gare, what happened out here last Thursday? You want to tell us about that as we reconnect with one another? And the evil came out again, okay? (laughs) Because he was just loving being able to put me in this place where I have to confess to everyone that I had a need, and Vernon met the need, all right? But this is the simple reality, friends. I was blind to that snow. I could not see how deep that snow was. I was blind to the predicament it was going to create for me. And I thought, no, oh, I, I can see what's here. It, yeah, it snows a little like this, but it literally was this deep. And I'll get by, I'll get out of here just fine. I came in fine, I can see, where, you know, but I was blind. And once I, my blindness had overtaken me, so now I'm stuck I'm still going to find my own way out, right? I'm going to get the shovel and I'm going to dig out. But it wasn't until I confessed my need that I have to have Vernon come and dig me out. I am stuck here. And this vehicle isn't going anywhere. Jesus is saying, as long as we say I can get I can do this myself, I can solve my own predicament we are totally blind to what the reality is it takes humbling ourselves and recognizing I am stuck in my sinful place and I need somebody who can come and pull me out of this and Jesus Christ alone is the one capable to pull us out of that stuck place we're in because by our pride we hold we hold to the fact that we somehow think we can solve it for ourselves and we can't my friends we all need a savior so the first question that we're left with out of that is simply this each of us needs to examine whether or not we have come to that place where we have recognized in my blindness i am stuck And I need to be delivered. And in recognizing the need for deliverance, acknowledging that Christ alone can deliver me, can solve the problem of my sin. And if I don't turn to him, if I say, oh, I think I can do this myself, his words then ring in our ears, therefore your sin remains. And the judgment that will attend to it one day. Now, my guess is, in speaking to this particular group of people, the greatest percentage of us have recognized that and acknowledged it. But if you're one of that small percentage here today who has not yet acknowledged that, may I invite you to do so. And as this one who had been born blind, when he asked, who is he, Lord, that I may believe you've both seen him, it is he who's talking with you, it's the Christ, he says, Lord, I believe that is the need for all of us. So I invite you to call out in belief and faith to the one, the only one, who can bring you out of that stuck place of blindness. But because most of us here, I think, have embraced that, I also want to bring this forth. It's just as possible that we can today Be stuck in our blindness with particular sins that God is trying to reveal to us and seeking to reveal to us. We say, No, I can handle this. I can handle this. I can handle this. And God is saying, No, you can't. You need me to come and deliver you. You need me to provide an answer so that you can get out of this place where you continually live in this particular sin. And for each of us, it will be something different. But because none of us are perfected yet, there is something that God is wanting to work with in all of our lives, in each of us. And I'm praying that the Spirit of God will reveal that to us, but then that we will also have the response that says, yes, Lord. I, uh, I've been blind to this. I've been in my pride thinking I can somehow have victory or it's not really an issue. And then we just stay stuck in the sin and we don't have the fullness of what God has for us and as I say it can take place in many many ways time tells me I need to stop but the spirit of God is speaking to each of us what is that thing we need to confess and say yes Lord I got to get unstuck here may we listen to him respond to that admit that we're blind we're prideful And uh, call upon him to deliver us from the blindness of that sin that binds us every single day. Father, thank you for the joy of being gathered with your people. Thank you for the magnificence of Jesus Christ. Who is the light of the world that lights all men who alone is the one able to bring light back into our own lives. And as he did it physically with this one, Lord, that we read about today, we know he desires to do it spiritually in each of our hearts and to solve the problem of sin that just binds us and keeps us in darkness, Lord. May we respond yes to you as you prod us and prompt us about those needs which need your attention in this day. We ask it in Jesus' name.